1: Foundation Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome back to Behind the Markets here in Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, joined by Lee Chen Ren from, from the phone here. Our next guest is going to be Chase Taylor, the founder of a, a research firm called Pine Crone Macro Research. He's focused on macro trades. He's a, he writes a lot about the global markets. Uh, I recently came across his work on, on some websites, and I found it really interesting. I should note our discussion is not tied to the offer of safe of investment products. And the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wizard of affiliates. Uh, Chase, welcome to our show.
0: No, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks you for having
1: me. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you approach looking at the markets and uh, what you're focused on at, at Pinecone Macro?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm I'm definitely a macro I'm a macro guy. I have a background uh, come from uh, the, the military actually. Did a lot of intelligence work. Uh, no business school background and I you know, I haven't worked on Wall Street. Just a self-taught macro guy that just has always been obsessed with markets. Uh, as far as what I'm focused on, I'm always As a macro guy, you know, focused on everything, but of course, you know, the energy markets have sort of been the most interesting lately, to say the least. So a lot of my focus has has been there, and especially on uh, the natural gas space, as I've since early March kind of viewed it as a likely winner from a lot of the uh, destruction in, in U.S. production that we would see.
1: Yeah, and so the the big story of the week was what was going on in the oil market. Any sort of quick commentary on just oil generally, what happened this week, and and how you think that all ties into the thesis? You know, we'll get into natural gas, but how what happened in oil this week?
0: One of the ways I'm looking at it is oil has kind of become a, a like a really a two lane market. You you have you know the front month and maybe a couple months near the front month of the futures contract where oil is trading just completely differently than it is in, you know in the out years. Uh, We've had you know the record contango, which has caused a lot of a lot of problems, you know with uh, ETFs, oil ETFs, where they were you know kind of loaded up on the front month, and then when you know traders didn't want to take physical delivery because they weren't sure where they were going to put it front month, you know we saw go negative and just just really unprecedented and and crazy action, uh, and you, you know get out on the out years and oil still hovering, you know kind of in those 30s. So it's just really two kind of different markets right now than it, and I think people need to kind of look at it that way instead of just you know following the front month price and, and only using that. Uh, a, a lot of the action in the, in the ETFs this week also kind of fed into what happened with price. You had a, a lot of retail investors that were very long, and then you had a lot of hedge funds that were very short, and the, both both kind of lead to more and more buying of that front month. Um, from those ETFs. So lately you've seen kind of have to start moving out on the curve. They're, they're kind of buying out some of the summer contracts to try and limit their exposure to the front months. And it'll be very interesting to see kind of how that goes for them moving forward. Uh, currently the June contract we're we're actually, you know, we bounced a, a, a good bit off the bottom, but I, it, you know, if the storage situation doesn't get better by, by kind of mid-May we'll, We'll see how how well the the June contract can can hold up. My my guess is it'll probably end up breaking down and and making you know some some pretty ugly lows the way the way we did last month. But that remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, that storage issue. If if, cushion, if they all the stories was that it went negative because people couldn't take physical delivery. Is there any sense that it, it, like four week, three or four weeks from now you're going to be able to take physical delivery there today? You know, three no, or four I, weeks from
0: now? I, I honestly can't imagine that that really working out. I there's a lot of imports kind of on, on their way from Saudi Arabia right now, you know, production is certainly getting shut in and, and it's happening fast, especially in the Permian, but the, the the demand, you know, is just so, so low because of, because of COVID that yeah, I, I can't imagine there being any, any drawdown in, in inventories that would allow, you know, room for what's, what's to come in the next month. But, you know, it, let, let's say that the June contract is more than just a big short squeeze. You know that it's it it is people thinking that there could be, you know, some room to put oil by the you know by the time that contract expires. Then, then maybe it is possible, but I, that's not really the way I'm reading it. I don't think I don't think there's really any answers on on the the storage side of this yet. So I I think I think we'll have another kind of ugly event in the front month whenever it gets close to expiration.
1: It's going to be one of the big, interesting stories to watch. We're going to have to keep coming back to this story as it seems to be dominating headlines. Now, how does that translate to natural gas and what sort of maybe, why could there be one, you know, uh, you think about energy markets and you got oil and natural gas, how there could be very different views on, you know, one being more bullish on and and one being more, uh, there's much more uncertainty in oil.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think a lot of investors just kind of lump them together in, in, in certain ways. You know, they, the, the production companies are oftentimes, you know, packaged in the in the same ETFs or mutual funds, so you know they get a lot of the same flows sometimes. But at the end of the day, they are, you know, they're two separate markets, and because oil production is heavily tied to uh, natural gas production, it, it makes it really unique. So about forty percent of of natural gas production is just coincident production with with shale oil. So now that we're getting all these shut-ins of the wells. You know that that's also going to shut in production of natural gas, and unlike oil, natural gas isn't undergoing you know a, a massive demand hit. Uh, it's 35% of uh, p- power production in the U.S. You know we still need electricity. Um, we're seeing some industrial demand fall off, but even that looks like it might be bottoming. Um, LNG exports, you know, they they doubled last year. They were set to double again this year, and as of right now. You know, it's about 20, 30 percent higher than last year at this time. Uh, exports to Ohio or Ohio, uh, Mexico are, are up. So the, the demand, on the demand side, we're higher than we were this time last year for natural gas. And obviously on the supply side, you're starting to lose a lot of production, uh, especially coming out of the Permian. But, but even, you know, out, out near you guys in Pennsylvania with the Marcellus, you know, that's about 20 percent of production in the U.S. and and. Even there, you know, we could see some shut-ins coming up, and and if we do, you know, I would expect natural gas prices to, to keep moving higher. Uh, I personally, I, I as soon as the Saudis launched, the Saudis and the Russians kind of launched their oil price war. I, I feel like you could, you could kind of see this coming, and I, I got long natural gas just thinking, you know, with with the demand destruction due due to the the pandemic, you know, all of a sudden having a price war on the production side, you know it. You could just kind of see it coming that we would have, you'd be forced to have production shut-ins, really globally, not just in the U.S. You know, recently um, Mexico was only going to cut 100,000 barrels per day in the OPEC deal, but the reality is they're going to have to cut you know significantly more than that for no other reason than you know th- there's nowhere to, to put the oil.
1: So it, it, the basic case is that the the ban for natural gas is. Not falling anywhere near as much as demand for for oil, and and then just the supply is going to be shut down. I mean, that's sort of the the shutdowns with with oil wells being unprofitable. Uh, that's is that the uh, the two things coming together for, exactly. for your thesis. Exactly.
0: Um, I think for the you know kind of the rest of the year, you're going to see a pretty big deficit start start to to happen in natural gas. You know, right now, uh, storage is above the five-year average, so there is some storage to 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 burn off even for for natural gas but i think that that's imminent as as we see production you know keep keep moving down and 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 demand staying staying relatively sticky overall other than you know industrial residential and commercial demand is higher than it was this time last year power is higher and then those exports which i think exports are going to take a hit uh you know a lot of the overseas customers are they, they can definitely you know, use force majeure in their contracts right now with, with what has happened. But I, I don't think LNG exports are going to fall enough to really make up for all of the, all of the the supply and demand, uh, you know mismatches that are coming up. This, should, now, this, this story should be you know pretty bullish for natural gas, and after really a, a generation of just falling prices and rising production.
1: You know, I've talked with some commodity people who, you know, when they think about what commodity should go into a basket, they've, uh, the first thing is get rid of natural gas because it's just been one-way yeah. downtrend forever. Uh, I just assume that's just on because so much more supply has been coming online and, and all this extra supply just pushed prices down. But how do you think about where, given this, this shut-ins in production and the, the demand still being robust, how do you think about where prices, how do you set targets for what you think a fair price would get to over time?
0: Yeah, it, you know the only way to really do that is just kind of with a really rough model. It, it, it is hard to tell. A lot of it's going to come down to it just you know what what other investors are going to be thinking about it. You know, price has has rallied a good bit. You know, if you look at like a, this, this, the December contract to kind of get rid of a lot of the noise on the front end of weather and everything, you know, we're up about twenty thirty percent. Some of the the main uh, producers, you know, their stock is already up you know roughly two hundred percent just since March. So some of the equities are, are really starting to sniff this out as far as price targets, you know, if you just do a rough model of, of where we, you know, could be say a year from now with, with the supply and demand mismatched to me, I think four or five, even $6, you know, when we're currently, uh, you, you know, a long ways from there. Uh, but I think four or five, $6 is kind of what I'm looking at for me, for my, you know, for my trading at you know at four dollars, I would start taking some profits and and just kind of keep going from there. But even four dollars is more than doubling from from current price.
1: We're talking with Chase Taylor of Pinecoin Pine Macro Research about his his recent views on oil, how it ties into a bullish thesis on natural gas and, and the plays. Chase, do you want to talk a little bit about when. Getting exposure, you've talked a little bit about getting direct the commodity exposure, which may be not what the standard, uh, you know, everyday listener trading futures. You know, that's a little bit, uh, I think the reason right. people go towards those other ETF vehicles is because they don't have futures trading accounts. Um, how do you, When you think about the, the direct commodity future contract versus the equities in these natural gas producers, how are you thinking about that? I know you personally are trading the, the futures itself.
0: Yeah, it's. And, and this is kind of similar to oil, where a, a lot of a lot of investors will, you know, use kind of the the, the most common and direct ETF. But but we, you know, it's the same issue that oil has, where they're they're mostly loaded up on the, the front end futures contract, and then you kind of get low slowly. Uh, you, you kind of you know slowly lose money on that just from rolling up into you know the the later futures, because there's a pretty steep contango, and you know, in natural gas as well as is, is oil, So I think uh, people should largely avoid that and, and just go for some of the, the biggest producers' uh, equities. You know, obviously you don't want to have a huge position in, in one company or anything, but there there are some solid companies out there where there's Cabot Oil and Gas or Range Resources. Equitable is the, is the biggest producer on uh, the country. Uh, there are some midstream options out there that are – Definitely a lot more risky, but they pay some pretty high yields, and and they've, you know, they've already been, you know, beaten up over the years. Uh, Southwestern Energy is another company. Antero Resources. So there are a few names in the space. Probably the the best, the best bet is to kind of just buy a a, a basket of them and keep the position small, and so that you know it doesn't doesn't hurt anyone too much if if this doesn't turn out to be right. But I, I think a basket. Small position in the basket of, of most of those names is probably the best bet. Interesting.
1: Interesting. Uh,
0: this Li Chen, um, you mentioned that you know uh, uh, natural gas is sometimes a byproduct of oil. Is that possible that for a lot of U.S. companies that you know energy firms that could face some potential default in their debt, oh. that you know natural gas could be part of their saver, like in the se- in the sense that it,
1: yes, they may
0: um, you know reduce the uh, oil production but on the other hand they they do make some money from the natural gas so the, the way i understand it and you know i'm a macro guy so my my knowledge is a mile wide and an inch deep so, but the way i understand it is a lot a lot of these wells it, it's it's genuinely coincident productions where they can't just kind of you know cap they can't really cap oil and just keep the, the natural gas flowing uh j- just the way the engineering works on on the wells but uh you know, to your point about a lot of bankruptcies, we we had 40 energy bankruptcies last year. And that was, you know, with prices significantly higher on, on oil. And, you know, so, so many of the banks did their financing to the, you know, the shale companies based on, on reserves. And, I, you know, I think that model is dead now. I think, you know, your average financer is, is just not going to be able to look at at reserves that way anymore, because they're going to realize that, that doesn't have anything to do with how much return on capital you're going to get. So financing is going to be very difficult, especially in the shale space, you know, which could keep production down, especially short, medium term. I think more than people think, even when demand comes back, uh, hopefully, you know, later in the year. Uh, so I think, I think this could be kind of a sticky problem for a while, and especially too, you know, you just look at globally and with oil, the reserve uh, replacement ratio is that a generational low? The the amount of, you know, new reserves are, are very small because capex has really been destroyed since, you know, about twenty twenty sixteen. So, you know, looking out, you know, a little further in the future, I think this entire scenario is very very bullish for oil long term. Just because so much supply is going to come offline, it's not going to be easy to turn it all back on whenever demand comes back, and even even if demand is, you know. 80, 90% of what it was before this virus hit, or even 70%, I think there will be so much production lost that this eventually turns into a, a very bullish scenario for energy.
1: Yeah, that's what they say, the cure for high prices is, is high prices, because all that stuff comes on, and then now the cure for low prices is ultimately low prices, because you can't pr- get this stuff to start back up so quickly. It'll be Absolutely. interesting how how quick that all comes together. Absolutely. Um. One of the other things you talked about and, and some of the other people I follow on, on how to think about this oil glut uh, and, and the storage issues has been talking about the tankers uh, and sort of oil tankers in general. Any commentary on what, how, you know, they've been up a lot in the last few weeks. Anything on tankers as one of the things for low oil prices and, and just where you see that market, how, if, you know, is that already fully reflected in prices or do you think there's more to go in some of these tanker stocks?
0: Yeah, so I, I definitely think there's more to go in the tanker stocks. It's it's a very interesting market right now because, you know, obviously oil is going to have to be stored uh, in, in tankers on the water. You know, these guys are normally just moving oil all over the world, but now they're just going to, you know, just let it sit, and, and they're going to make, you know, a lot of money. The, the day rates for these tankers are, are just through the roof right now. Some of these companies will genuinely make, one-year one cash flow will be more than their market cap. So the amount of money they're going to make is, is, is really, really high. But in, in my opinion, the equities uh, haven't gone, you know, that, that much higher, at least compared to what you would expect considering the day rates they're going to be able to collect. I think some of that is reflecting on people, people's fears on after this large contango is, is gone and that huge incentive to store this oil is gone, that they're going to struggle because there's just not going to be as much oil to move globally, and and I think there is some truth to that. So I, I'm I'm definitely buying a lot of the a lot of the tankers, but for me it's going to be a little shorter term play than I think what a lot of investors are doing. They, a lot of investors I think are looking at this as you know a great investment for the next five ten years. Uh, I just kind of want to capture uh, you know a, a spike in the use of of the tankers for storage versus versus actually shipping the oil. Um but but yeah, I I personally don't think the the bullish case for tankers has been priced in at, at all yet, just just based on the sheer cash flow they they're gonna have.
1: You know, i 've been watching some of those stories uh, for one of the really interesting areas of of how to benefit from lower prices is both you know your thesis on natural gas and also this this thesis on the tankers um, when, when you think about sort of if we step back from just this really micro focus on what 's been going on in energy, how are you looking at the markets generally? I know you, you're being a macro guy you have a lot of views on where the markets are in, in their cycle uh, how, how are you thinking about just the big rally off the lows we saw in the broad market indexes and and what, what that makes you position for broadly.
0: Sure. So, yeah, I, I, I've been very bearish, really, since the beginning of the year. Um, I was able to capture all that downside, which was, you know, very profitable. And kind of going into the end of March, I, I figured we'd, we'd get a nice rally based on a lot of re- rebalancing, uh, because, you know, everyone had to rebalance, especially just equity in, in their in bond portfolios, which we did get that. But I thought it would fade, even in – early april so I, i've been surprised by the strength of the rally uh this month uh i've been in the in the camp that this is a bear market rally i still think we at least have to retest the lows uh, personally i think we'll, we'll make you know new lows even even maybe a decent amount lower uh it, it's, a, it's an interesting argument because you have you know on the economic side obviously we're in a what i would what i would at least a short-term depression and but on on the other side you have you know unprecedented you know stimulus from the central bank and it's kind of a war between those two of which which really stands out but i think you know coming into the crisis you, you already had record record valuations you had corporate leverage very very high uh, buybacks were fueling the market uh, so now all of a sudden you know, we, we don't have the buybacks as as a big tailwind and uh, the valuations are still extremely high, even especially after this rally, considering what earnings are about to do. I, in my opinion, there's a lot of self-reinforcing feedback loops in the economy that are just really more destructive than people can get a grasp of. I, I think, I think that that loop is, is just kind of worse than people expect. So I think the downside is, is going to be worse than people expect because the, the economy is not going to bounce back the way the way a lot of people think it will and we've reached the point now where i think no one's no one's expecting a v-shaped recovery it's just kind of trying to figure out how long this recovery takes and you know and, and how how intense it will be on the other the other side when, when we're, whenever we're done with this but i think you know the average consumer the average small business is, is just in so much trouble and i, I don't think the, the government's stimulative uh impact is just really high enough on, on the average small business or, or the average consumer for, for what they've done to this point. So personally, I think we have, we have a lot of downside left, uh, in the overall
1: market. Now, you know, the thing that's been performing the best in, in all this, um, you know, generally this year, you say, and, and the last 10 years has been the sort of the tech story versus the broad markets. Is, is that a place you would still, if you're still keeping some equities, would you think that the tech trend is going to continue and you like growth versus these other areas or how, how do you think about just the, those market leaders?
0: So I, I'm, I'm really kind of on the other side of that. Um, now, you, you know, to, to put on an effective trade, or, or you know, kind of shift your portfolio, you kind of you know, need to wait for it to actually show that it's going to work. But I, I think I think tech on a relative basis is, is likely in, in the, let's say the coming three to six months to kind of roll over versus whether it's you know value or small caps or, or just you know the S P 500 however you want to look at it. Uh, but to, I think tech stocks have kind of become a safe haven in, in, in the last decade. It's it's the place people to first uh you know whether that's if you're trying to get your money out of emerging markets right now which you know if i had a lot of money in emerging markets i would be trying to get my money out i you, you look around the world and, and where you want to put your money the sovereign bonds don't really pay you anything anymore you know the us is, is where you're going to want to put money just based on kind of where we're at but uh, just looking at risk and i think for you know the average investor especially some, maybe some big Institutions overseas. Where are you going to put your money? What's safe? What feels safe? What performs? And you need to kind of look at, you know, American big tech companies. And uh, so I think I think it makes sense how much momentum we've seen we've seen there. I just don't think it's going to make sense really a year from now. Uh, you've seen a lot of ad revenues really coming down for some of these some of these firms. I, I think you know, the Amazon makes a lot of sense maybe because you know they get a spike in business during this. Although they probably will face headwinds with, you know, some of their cloud business. Uh, but, you know, Apple's rallied a lot. And if I look at, you know, Apple's about where they were a year ago, and I, if I look at where Apple's likely to be in from an earnings standpoint, you, you know, the average consumer globally right now probably isn't, you know, dying to, to spend a $1,000 on a new phone. Uh, so I, the companies like that I think are going to struggle. So I, I would personally rather hold – Something, something that's more cyclical. Once, especially once the cycle starts to, to look a little better, I'd, you know, I'd rather hold value personally than than the, the big tech companies. But there's definitely a, you know a place in your portfolio for them still.
1: Very good, Chase. I we're basically out of time, but get, tell our listeners where they can get stay in touch with your research, how they can find you, and, and get access to your work.
0: Sure. Like, so I'm on Twitter at Pinecone Macro, and my website is PineconeMacro.com. They can find me the place.
1: Well, Vera, this has been a great conversation. Good to hear your big picture worldview, maybe a little bit bearish on the markets generally, but a few ideas on natural gas and tankers as a place to hide out with all this oil volatility. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz.